Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. My next guest has helped his wife battle through not only brain cancer, but breast cancer, all while being pregnant with their daughter. Amongst the turmoil of the cancer treatment, his daughter was born 12 weeks premature. Him and his wife are fighters and a true testament of what overcoming adversity really is. And this was such a great conversation. And this was this episode is brought to you by GoBundance, the GoBundance event where I got to interview some of these amazing guys and hear their story, as well as it's brought to you by On Air Brands, my friend Eric Cabral's company and his team put together a little area for us. I got to interview these guys, connected us, and then they edited it for us too. So this is all possible by for On Air Brands, GoBundance, and yeah, this was such a powerful conversation. Riley's such a good dude and so successful in, you know, his business and real estate. And it was great to be able to ha have him share so openly. And I know you guys will get a lot of value from this. Okay. So if you guys do feel you want to share this with somebody that needs it, do so. I always love seeing people um, sharing the episodes on social media or wherever. And if you guys do get value from this, leave us a review on Apple. It's always greatly appreciated. I really want to grow the reviews because um, it, it matters, right? It really does. And yeah, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. And I appreciate you guys. All right. Get ready for a powerful episode. Riley Knox coming right up. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. And yeah, have yourself a beautiful day. I hope you got some value from that and much love. Catch you next time. Here we go. There we go. Riley, what's up, brother? Much, man. <laughs> Having a great time here at GoBundance. Good to meet you, man. Yeah, GoBundance. How's it been so far? It's been great. Making great connections, meeting great people, just sharing really genuine experiences. So it's been great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to do this. This is the first conversation out of the weekend and uh, doing University of Adversity on here. I thought it was going to be an awesome opportunity to meet new people and dive into your story, man, because it's, it's so interesting how everybody's story shapes who they are today absolutely yeah absolutely yeah so where i want to start man is for those of you that don't know who you are what you do tell us a little bit about yourself we'll kick things off and then we'll go from there yeah sure so riley knox i'm from maine i'm a multifamily real estate investor and a real estate agent do a whole bunch of stuff that's not associated with business that's you know important to me and my wife and i are you know avid Mountain climbers, rock climbers, ice climbers. We enjoy adventure. We've got a 17-month-old daughter that we love dearly. So yeah, that's that's where we are today. I grew up, grew up in Maine, went to college, studied marine systems engineering, 
had a short career with the Department of Defense as a nuclear test engineer, and then left my W-2 job and became a, a real estate agent, primarily a real estate investor in 2019. So, Awesome, man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this off with like a big question. Love it. And I, I think I'm going to ask everybody this just to kind of like really go deep quick. Love it. Out of all, when you look back on your life, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all of it, what has been the biggest challenge or struggle that you have overcome that has helped shape who you are today? Mm, good question. Good question. I feel like I got a few answers for it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one. My wife has been diagnosed with cancer twice. She's beat cancer twice. But in her second cancer diagnosis, which was uh, 2020, she was diagnosed with breast cancer right around the same time period that we found out we're pregnant with our daughter. So she battled breast cancer through pregnancy, which is a complicated thing to, to do for a lot of reasons. Primary reason being that uh, most chemotherapies target rapidly dividing cells, right? Which baby falls into that category. So anyway, my wife was battling breast cancer in 2020 and we delivered our baby premature. So we had a 28 week old baby that was delivered in a, in a very emergent fashion, very emergent. And we were rushed to the, a different hospital and spent 67 days in a neonatal ICU with our daughter. So that was probably the most challenging thing that I have faced and that we have faced, you know, the uncertainty of, of what the outcome would be. Furthermore, this was during COVID-19, like kind of during the height of the... So there was a threat there that if, if we were to leave the hospital and get exposed to somebody who had COVID-19, we weren't going to be able to come back and see our daughter for 14 days. Not a risk we were willing to take. So my and our daughter one of the things they tell you early on when you arrive at the NICU you know you you ask what can we do you know and they tell you skin to skin contact is the number one thing for premature babies they need to be held by their parents and we took that on as like our full time job so it was during covid we weren't leaving my parents actually quarantined their entire life to to be a support system for us. So they were really the only people allowed into our world during that time due to the threat of exposure. For the large, for the most part, we stayed in a, in a 10 by 10 room for 67 days with our daughter. It was trying mentally and emotional for my wife and I, and, and then all the normal support systems that we would rely on in our life, right? Our church family, our friends, my desire to adventure, all the, all the ways that I normally release stress were sort of taken off the table due to the, the circumstances with COVID and our daughter. So that was probably the most challenging thing that we've been through and and overcome. And also probably my proudest accomplishment, right? My, my deepest pride in life is that when my daughter needed me and when the thing that my daughter needed was to be held by her parents, we provided that in like the most extreme fashion for 10 to 14 hours a day for 67 days and we're able to really live our values during that time. So she got diagnosed with brain cancer and your daughter was just. So she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She actually had, breast my wife actually had brain cancer 10 years ago. Okay. Wow. Uh, so 10 years later, she's pregnant and diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. So you're dealing with that. Yeah. Dealing with the COVID situation. Man, all right. So my question for you is this. It's like, all right, 
you hear that and you're having to deal with that situation, like what are some of the things on a daily basis that you, how did you, what did you do to stay sane? First of all, mm. like what, what was, what was some, maybe some habits or some, because that's hard. I, I, I like to always sit and think about, put, I put myself in that situation and I just think about myself being isolated by myself for that long, never mind having to ca take care of two people that I love very much. And there needs to be some way to move through that, um, the emotions. So I'm curious, like, how did you, how did you do that? Like, how did you move through that? What were some of your practices? Yeah, it was a real, it was a real challenge because I'm a person who I'm probably, I'm an extrovert. So the way that I normally unwind and de-stress is through spending time with others and communicating with others. Right. But in this scenario, that wasn't really available to me in the way that I would have preferred it to be. So journaling, a lot of journaling. My wife did, my wife and I did a lot of journaling, walking. I, I walked as much as I could or was allowed to and, and prayer, you know, and then we connected via modern technology and FaceTime to a lot of our loved ones. And we're able to share, just lean on so many people for support. It really, you almost don't realize how much support you have in your life until you go through something like that. Mm. And I mean, it was just people coming out of the woodworks to show support and love to myself, my wife and my daughter. Um, and it was humbling. It was humbling to realize how well we are loved by people. So that was really the biggest thing for us, even though we weren't able to be with all of those people, there was no question that we were supported and loved through that time. Yeah. Wow. Man, what a time it was. And to deal with something like that, man, you got to dig deep. Absolutely. And you talk about journaling. This is something that has changed my life also. Walk us through what your journaling process is. Like, how does that look for you? Is it gratitude? Is it, you know, a brain dump? Mm. What does that look like? Pretty unstructured. My journaling today has evolved from where it was during that season of our life when we were in the hospital with our daughter. So my journal looks like a few things. I, I have a morning routine, you know, yeah. that, that consists of, I mean, very plainly, brush my teeth, drink eight ounces of water, spend three minutes in silence, spend five minutes in prayer, exercise, send three text messages to people that I care about, do a little bit of reading. My journal is, is usually daily. I have a, a small stream of consciousness journal. And in there, there's, there's some reflection over the past 24 hours usually. In addition to that, I, I like to take more some portions of my journal, which aren't daily, call them maybe weekly or monthly, I'll do something a little bit more structured, either specifically set aside time to set goals, reflect on my progress on goals, and be a little bit more strategic and forward thinking in my journaling. And then sometimes I, what I actually love to do is read books. And when I when a book poses a question, I'm a very slow book reader, because when a book poses a question, I take time to journal the answer. Right. So that's, that's a good way. Yeah. Because otherwise you just lose the information. Like it's so important to, to, to take it and just absorb it through, you know, whatever, you know, that way of like reflection. 
Yeah, I think like for me, I could read I could read a hundred books a year, mm. or I could read ten, and actually extract as much value as possible from right. books. And I, I like books; they're a representation of ideas. So that's yeah. And then gratitude. My wife and I, every night before we go to bed, we like to say three things that we're thankful for and that we appreciate in our lives. So there's there's that. We try to. I would say gratitude is more of a. It's that specific evening practice for us, but also we really try to live our lives in a, in a in that state through the cancer diagnosis, the premature delivery of our child. My wife's father passed away during that time as well. Man, it didn't feel negative. It didn't feel negative. We didn't feel misery. Like we fin with exception, but we felt mostly positive most of the time mostly optimistic even in and i'll i'll get a little bit deeper here i guess we're going deep so when my wife was 25 years old and she was diagnosed with the brain cancer she had emergency brain surgery right uh they removed a pretty significant portion from her left frontal lobe and i i didn't know her during this time but you know there was a considerable amount of risk associated with that surgery and there was a considerable amount of risk that the cancer would come back. So my wife has already been through a lot of the emotions. Like we all talk about like, on oh, my deathbed, what am I going to feel? What am I going to think? How am I going to reflect on my life? Well, at 25 years old, she went through those emotions. Death was not a certainty, but it was certainly a, a possibility, right? She's, she's going under for a surgery she may not wake up from. So she's processing these emotions consciously or subconsciously. And so she's, she's, she sat on her deathbed figuratively and, and thought through some of those thoughts. What are my deepest values? What am I proud of? What do I wish I would have done differently? And even though she didn't answer all those questions audibly at the time, it, it shaped the way that she has lived the next decade of her life. So one of the reasons I was so attracted to my wife when we started dating is she just, she, we all say that, like, I want to live my life in such a way that, you know, if tomorrow were my last or if today were my last, I'd be fine with that. We all say that, but most of us have never actually been faced with that situation. So for the last decade, my wife has been living her life sort of inside of that framework of I'm promised today I'm going to live today. She doesn't, I, I get frustrated with her sometimes because she doesn't project goals far out into the future. But she lives today in alignment with her values more than most people that I know. So the second time this happened, right, December 13th, 2020, when my daughter was born, there was a very real chance my daughter and my wife were both going to die that day. Very real chance. And my wife knew it. And they asked her, you know, like they asked her actually originally with the cancer diagnosis you know, to start having thoughts and conversations about, you know, if we have to make a decision between your life and the life of your daughter, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And for my wife, her decision was pre-made. She's like, my daughter, you know, she knew it. Deep in her being, she never had to think about it. She never second-guessed that thought. And on the day she delivered the baby, it was very scary. And I got to watch her approach a a situation where death was on the table as a possibility with like extreme contentment and even joy and happiness. 
she had an emergency C-section. So while they are emergently ripping this baby out of her stomach, she's conscious, smiling, and singing, you know, with me in the room. So it was, it was inspiring to see that, like, for me, it's been inspiring for me because I think about those thoughts, you know, how am I going to feel about my life on my deathbed? And, and I basically watched my wife wrestle with death in a really healthy, positive, inspiring way. So it's like, it's mind blowing for me to watch that, watch that play out. So yeah, she lives her life on a, on a different, on a different level. So, wow, bro. Just need to give that a, a minute to just honor that. Cause that's, that's powerful, man. And yeah, it's, it's so interesting because the way we look at death is, is so fear-based. Mm, mm. Most people, right? But, you know, the more spiritual teachings you learn, whether it's, you know, yeah. you know, whatever you believe, a lot of the a lot of the feeling around death is like this end point mm. it's like a scary way but it doesn't have to be it's actually just it's it's your relationship with death is really like it doesn't have to be this feeling of the, it's the end it feels like the end mm. but it's it's almost like a next journey like you're putting on a new set of clothes there's this there's this spiritual teacher named ramdas and that's like what he says, but we're so, we're so afraid of the unknown. Mm. And, and I would even take that a step further. So when I think about like, you said your relationship to death. Yeah. I think your relationship to death is a reflection of your relationship to life. Yeah. You know, so the week we found out we're pregnant and the week that my wife got diagnosed with breast cancer is the same week that my wife's father died. And, and, and we're people of faith. We're spiritual people. And I got to watch my wife's father die. And it was the, the first most kind of inspiring experience of my life. He got a 60-day notice. You know, mm -hmm. they let him know it was coming. He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Same with my dad. Uh, same time, 60 days. Yeah. Pancreatic cancer? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it, it's crazy. And, you know, we were there like 24, 48 hours before he died. He looked at his second youngest son, Jonathan, and said, you know, I, I think I'm ready to give up the ghost. I think I'm ready. And his whole death experience, which, you know, really was maybe about a week in its most severe state, was kind of a positive experience. I had a, a great, one of, the mo one of the greatest evenings of my life was two nights before he passed away, singing songs to him with his youngest son. And just, he, he died in peace, in having said what he needed to say uh, to the people that he needed to say it to. And I, and I just really felt that he, he got to he got to die the death of a righteous man. This is not where I expected to take this podcast at all, but we go deep. I know he. So just watching that, you know, I'm like, it doesn't have to be, you know, obviously, and you know, and he's a man who's who, who's lived his life in expectation for an afterlife. But it, outside of the afterlife, he's lived his present life, right in alignment with his values. And th th that's where I think the key is. He's, yes. he's lived his values, so he's free to die. Yeah. Because he hasn't left any stone unturned. That's a great point. I think it's tough when people, people get really frustrated when they feel they're taken out of this life early 
or at the wrong time. When they know they could have done something or they could have loved more or they could have taken the chance. Yeah. And they did it. Or there's an unresolved conflict in your marriage or your family. But for my wife, she spent the last decade resolving all of that, you know, making sure that she was just living in alignment with her values. So that's, that's, and that's big for us to, to live out our values. Man, that pancreatic cancer is crazy. And now that I actually, you know, with my dad, he, it wasn't, he didn't get diagnosed 60 days, but like there was like pain that he didn't know and nobody knew what it was. He didn't get diagnosed until 48 hours before. Yeah, so I got to see him his last day. So I know the fee. I like this is a. Fee, I've heard a few people with this story around pancreatic cancer. This is a, a crazy thing, man. It's like it hits you and it just like eats it's you. Fast or not? It's just I literally watched him like just die in a few hours. It's crazy on his, and and it's it's just so interesting how the body, how this cancer just like, you know, just takes you. It's sad. Mm. It's really sad to watch, but you're, you know, the way you put that and the way you said it is so beautiful because why would there be any fear or anything bad towards death when you've lived in your truest purpose aligned Mm -hmm. with your truest values? Like, how would you be, you're like, look, I've done it. I've, I've lived in truth. What's there to be afraid of? It's interesting because, and it's like one of those experiences that's shared to all, you know, like we, we all are beings that die, you know? So it's, it, it, it would make more sense to me to be afraid of something like the dark because it's, it, it's unknown. It is death, yeah. is. death death is pretty much known, <laughs> you know, pretty much happens to everyone. And they say that when you die, like this is even, I've heard it in a bunch of different, like even like, even through like Buddhism or through like Dalai Lama or anything, any sort of faith, any sort of religion it's it's they say that you the best way to die is be happy like because because you hold it on apparently you bring that in like you bring that energy in like wherever you go next so you almost want it to be a like a like a happy light energy mm. whether it's true i mean i don't know but i've heard that you know mm. when you die like you don't want it to be in like a sad sad angry scared place right yeah, my my wife, you know, on that day that she delivered our baby, I mean, you have to put this in perspective, you know, if if the baby lives and she doesn't, that baby's going to live the next 20, 40, 50 years of her life without her mom. Yeah. And uh, it's just going to be me and, and Aspen. And my wife had made peace with that. You know, what wouldn't have been her preferred path, you know, but she had uh, made peace and had, had positive emotions around bringing a daughter into the world. And, and, and I don't want to like, I don't want to paint it as though she had accepted and stopped fighting because that's not the case. You know, she gave every effort and, and ultimately has, has beat cancer twice, right? That's, and this crazy it's un- delivery. That's, a, that's phenomenal. But she, she's like, she does her best and accepts all outcomes. I guess that's the best way to put it. She, if, mm-hmm. if my wife or me or anyone, if, if I were to pass away to die, I would have hoped that I had done everything I could do to fully and accept the results, you know? And, and so for me, my, my fear is like death, death is a certain thing, you know, it, it'll come, you know? It, my fear is like life is fi- finite and to 
not live it to the fullest, right? Life, you know, in its simplest form, we think of as like convert oxygen to CO2 and keep your heart beating. That's life. But is it really, you know, I guess by like the biological definition of, you know, human and plant life, like that's life, but it's not a life. It's not a rich life. So you can, you can, the same two people can each live 75 years and one of them can live six times the life, um, have six times the impact, have six times the love, the richness, the joy of life. So we just... We try to be not as as non time focused as possible, and and as as focused as we possibly can be on on just a richness of life. Now, would you say you have this you have this optimism and this like open heart? You have, like you can tell you're a very open hearted person. Has this? Do you think this has come from having that strong faith? Tell me more about how faith specifically has helped shape who you are, because. You know, it, it's it's a trust. It's a knowing. It's a, mm. how has that helped you through all this? I yeah. just kind of want to understand more about that. Yeah. So for some background, you know, we're Christian, right? Yeah. We believe in God, yeah. Jesus Christ, um, heaven and hell. I think one of the things that having a strong faith base will do for you is it helps you to learn to control what you can control and let go of what you can't. We don't have, and I'm not a person who believes that we are blown around by the wind in this life. I absolutely yeah. believe we have a lot of influence on the direction our lives take. For sure. But we don't have control. I cannot make it rain or make it not rain, right? God makes it rain or makes it the sunshine. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, the way that faith has helped through specifically these these trials is it's helped me to learn to be the best that I can be, react the best that I can react to my situation, but sort of hold on to things with an open palm because I, I'm not divine. I, I'm not divine. I, I cannot be in control. So what I can be in control of is like me my emotions, the way that I react to situations. And it always amazes me. You'll have two people faced with the same really, really bad situation or really, really good situation and have two completely different experiences. Yeah. So they see it through like a different lens. It's amazing. Yeah. This year, and now we're taking like a left. We're taking a big left here. January 1st of this year, I started trading cryptocurrency. Lost a bunch of money, like a lot of money and was totally chill with it. And for me, like I, I look at that as like, Hey, that's a success for me. That's a success for me that I was able to have to take a big loss, take a big L and you know, my marriage didn't feel the impact of that. My family relationships didn't feel the impact of that. My relationship to God and the church didn't feel the impact of that. My health didn't feel the impact of that. I was able to take an isolated loss in one area of my life and, and choose how I interpret it. Right. And I interpreted it as like, Hey, at some point in my life, I needed to learn this lesson and I just learned it. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm thankful that it only cost me what it did. You know, it's, it was just like a pot, honestly, like a positive experience around losing money. You have the same per, you know, you put a different person in that situation or me, it put me in that situation in a different state of maturity in my life. I'd have lost my mind. 
my mom, my wife, my child, my grandma, everyone around me would have been miserable because I was losing. And, and that's like very much a part of who I have been. Like most of my life, I've pretty much been a sore loser, but I feel like I'm getting there to being a, a healthy loser and a healthy winner. So what? Okay, so this is a great point because this is what the whole show is about. It's like we're all going to deal with shit. We're all going to, things are going to get thrown at us, right? Yeah. We're going to go through loss. We're going to lose money. Yeah, you can't have win. We're going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. We're going to fail and fail. But how do you react to it? Like, do you sit there and become the victim and blame everybody else? Or do you say, like what you just said, hmm, what a lesson. I just learned something here. That is exactly the way that, that that's an empowered way to take action because you could have easily gone around in circles. Why did I do that? I'm so stupid. Yeah. Perpetuate yeah. more of that into your business. Right. Into your family. Hey, look, it's one thing. Just let it's it go. One thing. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson you learned. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask you is like, when did that shift for you? Like, when did you start? When did you stop essentially being a victim to these circumstances and more victor? You know, like, that, yeah. When did, when did that, when, did, because look, we're human. We all go through this stuff depending on our emotional state. Right. Like we could be feeling down one day and things look a lot worse than they, they are. And, but it's like, how do we move through it? What's the lesson? Mm. And when did that shift for you? And how does that impact you now? That's a great, a great question and a tough one for me to answer. I had a lot of trauma in my childhood. And it's interesting because we all have trauma. Yeah. We all have trauma. But when you're going through trauma, you, we have a tendency to feel isolated. Like yes. it's just us. Like yeah. it's just us. Like I'm the only one taking losses right now. And the reality is losing or having tough experiences is a shared human experience. Yeah. Everyone has the shared human experience. So when, I'm going to answer two questions, how, how we deal with it. And then when it changed for me, how we deal with it. We just like, we try to put things in perspective. We try to put things in perspective. Have you read The Gap in the Gain? I haven't. Okay. So the premise of the book, right, is that, listen, you can measure your life in one of two ways. You can either measure the gap between where you are and your ideal, which is where you wanted to be, the way you wanted things to happen, the way you wish things would happen, or you can measure the gain between where you are and where you came from. And I think for most of us, we are better off than we were as an infant, right? Uh, nobody has to change my diaper. I can cook my own food. I can provide for myself. So I, we try to measure the gain. We try to measure the gain. And, and it's so easy to be upset about the fact that you're not living that your life is not perfect in every way. But my wife and I talk often about the fact that our life is not a disaster in every way. If we, if we just do the exercise, hey, what, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst case scenario for our life? Well, the worst case scenario would be no money, no health, terrible health, no friends, no loved ones, no food, um, no shelter, no spiritual relationship with God. That would be the worst case scenario. If you are not in that, if, if you have any spiritual relationship with God, any good relationship in your life, any food in your stomach, any shelter or heat, 
you're living a life of abundance. It could be worse. And for someone it is. And, you know, you can say for someone it's better. It's a lot. It's really easy to look at. I don't know, social media or these other people say like they're living. But the reality is you're living a better life than you were yesterday. And you're living a better life than you could be living. And honestly, I'll talk about privilege and we like to talk about privilege as if it's like only isolated to white male Americans. But man, if you compare everyone that lives on earth right now against the history of time, we're not living in caves. Uh, We're not chasing down animals with spears for food. So, you know, and we are very privileged, you know, in the life and the opportunities that we have. But as a human race, we have come a long way. I mean, vehicles, we drive, we go wherever we want. So we we try to practice gratitude from a state of just recognizing everything that we have, uh, including relationships. And then when it changed for me, it's probably in college. So I went to a maritime academy. I spent 195 days at sea. And my freshman year, I spent 90 days at sea. In that first 90 days at sea, it was the, I'm a social guy, right? I talk to people. That's how I process information. And and you're in the middle of the ocean. And, you know, I've got a bunch of people on my boat, but they're not my people, you know? And I like, for the first time in my life, I am uncomfortably alone with my thoughts. And I started to unravel. Things started to unravel that a lot of my actions and mindsets and framework in my life was based around trying to prove something to myself, right? Trying to prove to myself and in large part, my father, who I am and that I am something and that I am worth something. Trying to prove my worth to myself led to a lot of comparison to other people that I perceived as successful worthy, better people than myself. So when it changed for me, as I would say, through that process of being in college, being alone, being at sea, you know, I went through a period of depression and God helped me like rework the way that I was perceiving the world and my situation. Shortly after that, I mean, I met my wife, I got married you know, things started to go well in business and finance and we have a baby and, you know, we're just, we're, we're truly living a life of abundance and we have big goals, big dreams, big desires. We want to do things financially and travel and spiritually and ministry. There's a lot of things we want to do, but I tell my wife all the time, you know, honey, if it were me, you and Aspen homeless, if we lost everything every material possession we had in the world, if I could hold on to you, my daughter, and my relationship to God, I really think my happiness would be pretty much equal to where it is now. So much of my happiness comes from within those relationships, within myself, that I I don't... I think it's important not to draw your happiness from exterior resources. Absolutely. We we talk a lot about not putting our happiness in the tomorrow bucket, right? We're going to experience our happiness today. We're going to be thankful today for the things we have today. And that doesn't mean we're not going to dream for tomorrow, but we're going to just really just relax in the joy and the love and the happiness that we have in our lives, even in them. And that's how we felt 
we went through a situation that most people around us would come to us. I am so sorry. Oh my goodness. That is so challenging and so tough. And so people would cry when they hear our story. But for the majority of that, the last two years, like we were mostly happy. I had a good marriage of a good daughter. We're, we're mostly happy. We're mostly healthy. And we, and we choose to perceive things from that point of view. So, yeah. Bro, it's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed the conversation, <laughs> this is, really. This is awesome, man. We could talk for hours. Where can everybody, people want to learn more about you? Yeah. Send them. So I am pretty much a social, I'm, I'm not on social very much, but I do a Facebook account. So Riley Knox on Facebook. And then my email, Riley, R-Y-L-E-E dot Knox, K-N-O-X 96 at Gmail. I do respond to all my emails. So, cool. and I just, I love to Any talk website? to people and help people. Any website? No all? website. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. I really right. appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. And yeah, have yourself a beautiful day. I hope you got some value from that and much love. Catch you next time.